We're on our fourth question today. Y'all can come on, uh, come on down. Don't worry about it. Um, the fourth question is, what does God expect from me? Perhaps the most important of all the big questions that we have looked at. And our text for today comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Would you stand with me as we hear these words of Scripture together? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we live our life in a web of expectations, don't we? I know growing up in the Hughes house, there were very clear expectations. That was just my father's personality and kind of his life experience as a veteran of World War II and that time period you were disciplined and ordered and you kept things very methodical. In our house, it was expected that every day we would make our beds every day we would clean up our room and every day we would do our chores without being told to do our chores because my father's logic said if you ask about your chores that means you already know about them so you ought to just do them right and that was fair we also had expectations that every day we would spend a certain amount of time reading our Bibles and a certain amount of time saying our prayers. It was expected that we would always answer in whatever context or situation with nothing any less formal than yes ma'am and yes sir and no ma'am and no sir. Not just to our parents but to any other adult who might happen to speak to us. The thing I remember the most these days is the expectation. My father was a very uh, punctual person. And my father walked in the door every day at the end of his work day at the exact same time. You could set your watch by it. And the expectation was we would be washed and straightened up and sitting at the table. So when he walked in the door, we could sit down and say our prayer and have our dinner together and talk about good expectations that shaped my life. When I was about, uh, I don't know, maybe 19, I was going to an interview for a job at a church as a youth director, and one of the expectations of that job was that you had to be able to drive a school bus. Why they would want a 19-year-old to drive a school bus is beyond me. 
But I said, of course, I can drive a school bus. I had never driven a school bus. And it wasn't very long before I drove the school bus into the barbershop next door to the church. But that's another story for another time. Not a very, not a very good memory I have in my ministry. Um, when I finished up at seminary and finished serving the church I was appointed to in the Central Texas Conference, I was called back to Louisiana to take my first appointment there. And I was appointed to the wonderful old flagship church, First United Methodist Church in Shreveport. And I can remember my first meeting with the staff parish committee. They had a very clear list of expectations. And the number one expectation was, you will not be seen anywhere on the property without a coat and tie. It's very formal. And that expectation became such a part of my life that from that day on, every day of my life, I wore a suit and a tie. When I came to teach at SMU, every day I wore a suit and a tie. And when the bishop sent me here, I came to work in a suit and a tie. Until Milton pulled me aside and said, you've got to quit dressing like that. You're freaking everybody out. Just, <laughs> just stop doing this, right? That expectation just became who I was. One of the things that I enjoyed working with seminarians uh, on is they prepared to go to their first appointment as the pastor of their own church, was to be prepared for all the expectations people in their congregations would have for them. That in every church there were lots of different expectations. Some in a congregation expect the pastor to be the, a great evangelist who will be solely responsible for growing the church very rapidly. Other people have the expectation you'll be a brilliant CEO or a fundraiser or a manager or administrator. Some have the expectation to be a visionary. Some have the expectation you'll be the sheriff and you'll finally straighten out those people they don't like that go to church with them and the thing expectations. Nothing wrong with any of those expectations. It's just you're not ready for them to all be coming at you at the same time, especially because they probably don't match up with what a first-time pastor's expectations are of what they're supposed to be doing in the church. Life is full of expectations. Recently, I, I found out that Ben had just seen a movie that I had just seen 1917. Anybody seen that movie about World War I? And we were talking about reflecting on it. And I remembered that when that movie was over, I was so overwhelmed with the weight of the expectations of people who are sent into combat in the war. It was literally, I, I just had to sit there for a minute when that movie was over. What was expected and then I thought, my dad did that. And countless people I've known through my ministry, the people I know in this church, have done that. And they've met those unimaginable expectations, those overwhelming expectations, and somehow managed to come back and re-enter regular, mundane life. Expectations are powerful in our life. 
as we navigate our life, as we grow up, we need to learn how to discern among those expectations, to be able to know when expectations are healthy and life-giving and when expectations are dangerous and unrealistic. Both those expectations others have of us and those expectations we have of ourselves. They can be just as unhealthy and as dangerous to our life. And that idea of trying to navigate all of these expectations of life leads us to this fourth question in our series. What does God expect of me? Because I believe it helps guide us through this web of expectations from spouses and employers and communities, from ourselves. It helps us navigate those expectations when we are grounded and striving to meet the expectation, the most important expectation in our life. What does God expect of me? The prophet Micah is doing what prophets always do. They're speaking to an unfaithful people. The people had turned away from God. They had rejected God and gone their own way, and they had suffered the consequences of that as they always do, as we always do. In the three verses before our text, it's God that's asking the questions. In our text, it's us asking the question. But in the three before that, it's God. And God is asking the question, what did I ever do to you? What did I ever do to you that was so awful that you grew weary of loving me? That made you reject our relationship? What could I have possibly done? Oh yes, God says, I remember what I did. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. I gave you Moses and Miriam and Aaron to lead you. And God goes on to list several other instances and situations where God had saved the people either from the evil workings of people outside or the consequences of their own bad choices and decisions. And God says, okay, yeah, now I understand why you don't love me anymore. And in being reminded of all that God had done for them, it turns the tables, and we have our text. How can I get back with God? How can I get back in a right relationship with God? What is expected of me? It begins with a very routine and reasonable expectation of their religion. Maybe I come with a sacrifice a calf a year old to offer in the temple. But it quickly goes from the routine to the extreme. Now forget that calf thing. How about thousands of rams? How about ten thousands of rivers of oil? Would that do the trick? Would that make God pleased with me? Would that make me right with God once again? What if I sacrifice my own child? The most precious and priceless thing I'll ever know in my life. Would that be enough 
to make up for what I've done and get me back right with God? Of course not. Why are we human beings so driven to create these complicated systems of hoops that we know we can never jump through or to give uh, complicated and convoluted answers to questions that God has already answered so clearly and so beautifully for us. Why do we go from doing what God asks to doing all these ridiculously difficult, impossible things? Why? That's our human condition. (laughs) That's our sinfulness. That's our fallenness. Our text has God speaking to us. He's told you, O mortal, what is good and what is required of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What God expects of us is far beyond rules and rituals, what God expects of us has to do with who we are. It has to do with how we live our life in relation to one another and to the world. God has told us what is expected. What does God expect from me to do? Justice. It's interesting in the scripture, justice is always something we do. It's an action. God has always called the faithful people of God to work for justice for those who are on the margins, for those who are weak, for those who are powerless, for those who have no voice. It's not enough that we just pray for justice or that we hope for justice or that we dream of justice. We are supposed to do justice. Martin Luther King Jr. drew on the philosophy and theology of a century before him when he wrote these words. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And the scriptures tell us we're supposed to be the ones doing the bending. Why? Because throughout the human story, in every age, in every time, in every land, in every culture, there have always been those more than ready to try to bend it back the other way. For power, or for politics, or God forbid, for religion. God says, this is what I expect from you, to do justice. What does God expect of me? To love kindness. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, to love kindness? Hebrew scholars tell us that the word we translate kindness is one of those words in Hebrew for which there is no one word in English that captures what it means. You have to use at least three, Daniel Simonson says, to get close to what that means. He says you have to use love and loyalty and faithfulness. To love kindness 
is to live those things that are central to a healthy, life-giving relationship. Whether it's between spouses, whether it's between friends, whether it's between a person and God. To love kindness is to embody those elements that make for a pure, unbroken relationship. Love and loyalty and faithfulness. The great missionary Albert Schweitzer wrote these words. Constant kindness can accomplish much. As the sun makes ice melt, kindness causes misunderstanding, mistrust, and hostility to evaporate. Kindness causes misunderstanding, mistrust, and hostility to evaporate. How wonderful would it be for somebody to describe my life like that? That everywhere I go, those things go away. I want to be that kind of person. I want to live that kind of life that can only be lived motivated not by rules or coercion or manipulation can be motivated only by pure love. That's what it means to love kindness. What does God expect of me? To walk humbly with God. This image is that we will walk, that we'll live in such a way that God is always first in our life, first in our vision of what life should be first in our priorities of life. It means that we'll walk, that we'll live in such a way that everything I do would conform to the way of God. It means that I'll walk and live in such a way that I experience my relationship with God as a companion on this journey through life. What a beautiful image. Henrietta Reich wrote, Those who walk with God always reach their destination. Those who walk with God always reach their destination. In other words, what does God expect of me? God expects me, all of me. God expects all of who we are all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. God expects all of our values and all of our ethics. God expects us. Fully committed. Fully returning to God, the love God has for us. Well, Barry... That's great, but we're a long, long way from Micah and the prophets and sacrificing rams and pouring out oil. And we're a long way even on this side of Jesus. So what does God expect for me now? What does God expect from me today, this very moment? Well, I believe that in Jesus, we enter into a life that meets those expectations. Think about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. 
the pure embodiment of doing God's justice in the world because through his death and resurrection, Jesus erased all the boundaries and broke down all the walls that separated people, those who were in and those who were out, those who God could love and those who God didn't love. All that was done away with in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus did God's justice in the world. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who certainly embodies loving kindness, whose relationship with God was so pure and unbroken because God, he turned to God in every decision and went God's way at every fork in the road. So much so that in the Gospel of John we have those beautiful passages where Jesus looks at the disciples and says, this is how close God and I are. This is how you know who God is. I and the Father are one. That's a life that embodies loving kindness. And then Jesus walked humbly with God. Jesus always put God first. Jesus always put the needs of others first. So much so that at that night in the garden, in the shadow of the cross, at the most crucial moment of Jesus' life, he prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That is a life that walks humbly. When we follow Jesus, when we say yes to God's forgiveness and grace in Jesus, we enter into that life. In Him we can meet that expectation because when we follow Jesus, we always end up at God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.